The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. If you've got a Bible, open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. Um, I told you last week we'd come back and hopefully finish out this chapter, and Lord willing, that's exactly what we'll do today. Um, this is known as the love chapter, and last week I talked to you about that most people view this as love from a wrong perspective. They see this as romantic love, and people put this into their wedding and, and into uh, songs about love between a man and a woman and, and all these things. And, and while certainly the love that's described here needs to be characteristic of the love that exists between a man and a woman, it's not in that context. It's in the context of the church and how we relate to one another. And so um, he ends here, he transitions between verse 7 and verse 8, and, and that very first sentence of verse 8 really is a connector between the two. And he says, love never ends. So I've titled this sermon this morning, Forever and Ever, Amen. Uh, that's a Randy Travis song, so I just had to work that in there. Um, Forever and Ever, Amen. And, and, um, and we'll look at this love of God that lasts forever, that it never ends. That, isn't that good? That it never ends, that it never runs out? Um, a joke about Travis only trying to kill me once yesterday in the cart. Um, we, were, uh, we were in the cart, and, and is that number 10 that goes down by the driving range? Uh, and, and we were taking off, and Travis was driving. And like most of my balls yesterday, they had you know, gone this way or gone that way. And so my ball had gone out into, into the driving range, not in the fairway where it was supposed to be. And uh, Travis drives down there, and he says, I, I think we can take off through here. I think we can get your ball. We're going to drive across where people up on the driving range are hitting balls at us. He said, I, I think we can do this. I, I think this will work. I said, yeah, it's me on this side. He knows I'm a bigger target than he is, and I'll just absorb every ball that comes our way. Uh, well, that's true. Not for long, because Caden started driving after that, and Caden said, I'll drive. I said, amen, right? Um, but uh, look... God's love for us is amazing. What we see in Christ and the cross is amazing. And we get caught up. We get hung up on things of this world. And we miss the simplicity of love. I want to read this passage and then we'll dive in here. But before I read it, let me just give you a little bit of background here. I said to you already, there's, there's a transition here between verses 7 and 8. And in verses 1 through 7, Paul's contrasting loves with, love with spiritual gifts in the church. And he's doing it largely from a pragmatic or a practical way. He largely is saying, here's what love does. But from verses 8 to 13, he looks at love, he contrasts love and gifts from a temporal perspective, according to time. And he says, look... Here's not what love does, but here's how long love lasts. Okay, so here's the difference. One way to say it is by, say, by reading verse 8, that first sentence of verse 8, but just changing which word you stress in the sentence. Verses 1 through 7 can be said this way. Love never fails. 8 through 13 could be said this way. Love never fails. You see the difference? There's verses 1 through 7, what love does, verses 8 through 13, how long it lasts. So let's read this, and then we'll dive in, and we'll we'll walk through these 
verses 8 through 13. Start with me in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Boy, those are three good words right there. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. First off, I want to show you in this passage, I'm trusting God to show you in this passage, that the things we often value most are the things that we can't hold on to. The things we often value most are the things that we can't hold on to. This is what he says in verse 8 where he says, look, prophecies, they'll pass away. Tongues are going to cease. Knowledge is going to pass away. There were those at Corinth that were very prideful about these gifts. Remember I've told you that they were saying, look, the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, is the mark of being spiritual. And if you don't have the gift of tongues, then how can you say you're really saved? How can you say you have a relationship with God? Or some were saying, no, it's prophecy. God's given the gift of prophecy as as to mark out those who are truly close to him. And Paul here says, look, all these things, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, it's going to pass away. It's going to go away. You're not going to be able to hold on to it. They were holding them tightly, thinking that the gift in itself was as good as it was ever going to get. They had what theologians call an over-realized eschatology. Eschatology meaning the study of last things or end times. There were those in the church that were thinking that, look, the only thing left was to free them from the body. That, That they really were experiencing all that there was going to be already. They were just limited in this body. And they had to free themselves of this body. But but that they were already there. The reality is, in some ways, we are already there, but in so many ways, we're not yet. And there's so much more to come. They, they thought that those with certain gifts had already achieved a state of heavenness. I typed that in and got those little red squigglies under that right away, heavenness. It tried to correct it to heaviness. But there were those there that thought certain gifts already achieved a state of heavenness. That heaven was going to be prophesying and speaking in tongues. That what they were doing now would also be there. Paul says to them, these prophecies are going to pass away. These tongues, they'll cease. The knowledge is going to pass away. And there are different theories, and I don't want to take too much time here, but there are different theories about when these gifts will cease. Maybe maybe some of you have been sitting out in there in the seats and saying, when's he really going to talk about tongues? When's he really going to talk about prophecy? And I'll talk a lot more about that hopefully next week, or maybe not next week, Sometime soon, okay? I don't know when I'm going to talk about it, but I will get to it, I promise. But there's different theories on when these gifts will cease. Some say they've already ceased. And at times in in my walk with Christ, I've been in this position, this cessationist position, where I've thought that, that the gifts were given in the early days of the church to sort of validate the work of the apostles. But once the New Testament was completed, that those gifts ceased. 
But based on this passage and other places, I, I'm not sure that that's exactly what's being said here. Others say that they've not yet ceased, that they're still going on today. And I want to show you a little later on that I believe that's the position that the Bible teaches, that some of these gifts are still going on. Um, now, we'll, we'll get into more of, of that later on, but, uh, but this is kind of the issue here. Paul says these things are going to cease. But before we get to the bigger issues, the Corinthians, I want you to see, we're placing inord- inordinate amount of value on certain things that they would never be able to hold on to. This is most important. No, this is most important. And Paul says, look, you're going to spend all of your time and energy dreaming about these things and find out that those things are going to go away like a dream goes away when you wake up. There's certain things in this world that I look forward to passing away. Weed eaters. Man, I'll be glad when that day comes. I do not like to weed eat. And I have a lot of it at my house. And I let it go about four weeks till my wife says, what's going on with the weed eating? Well, I've got to do the weed eating, right? Dental appointments. I don't like dental appointments. We've got some dental hygienists and people in, in the crowd here, and I'm thankful for you. But I don't like dental appointments, okay? Don't like them. My wife loves it. She's never had a cavity, never had braces, none of that. Perfect teeth. My mouth is all funky, and I don't like it, right? I look forward to that passing away. After playing golf yesterday, I look forward to sand traps, bunkers, going away, right? But see, those are things that I don't spend my time and energy dreaming about. Those are things that I don't spend my time and energy pursuing But the people there in Corinth, they were spending time and energy pursuing and touting these gifts as it. And Paul says these things are going to pass away. In worship, sometimes we we get all worked up over what we think is the most valuable. We talk about, well, should we sing hymns or should we sing modern songs? Should, and is, is it going to be, should we be formal? Should we be casual? Should we use the King James Version? Should we use the ESV? Should we use the NIV? This is what I think. This is what I think. And when it comes down to it, so many of those things that we fight over in churches, we're going to wake up one day and they're not going to be issues at all. They're going to be gone. Because one day, and we're going to see it, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but one day we're going to be around the throne looking at our Savior and our Lord in real flesh, face to face, and it won't matter. We won't be saying, I don't like this song. It's going to pass away. In reality, in our everyday reality of our everyday lives, if we go beyond the scope of our corporate gatherings of worship, we also place too much value on some things that we'll never hold on to. And I could go down a list, but maybe I won't hit yours, but I, let me just give you a few. Money, jobs, our appearance, cars, houses, toys, our health, television shows, football games, the status, what people think of us. These are things that we give so much attention to and place so much value on and spend so much time chasing after. And one day we will wake up and it will all be gone. And it will not matter at all. I'm not saying that you should not care about your appearance or that you shouldn't care about your health or that money is wrong or evil or any of those things. But when we put it out of kilter and out of place, it becomes idolatry in our lives. 
and we worship it, and one way we will find that all those idols will be torn down. So the first thing I want you to see in this passage is that the things we often value most are things that we can't hold on to. Secondly, the things we often value most are not as good as we give them credit for being. In verse 9, he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Now, don't just read over that. Paul's not talking about the prophecy like we see in the Old Testament. He's not casting doubt on Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and all of that. He's not, he's not saying, you can't trust this because they, they were only telling part of the story. He's not talking about that prophecy. All that prophecy about Christ is true. So much of it has been fulfilled, and there's so much more that's going to be fulfilled in his coming. What he's talking about is this gift in the church, in the early church and in the church today, where God gives this sort of spontaneous word for the moment. And, and we would never say, you know, someone, we're talking with someone, and they just, they just say something to you, and it just seems to be right for the moment. It just, your, your situation, and it just seems to be from God. Now, we would never take that and say, oh, that's good, and go to the back of our Bibles and write that in as Scripture. We would never start referring to that and say, hey, did you read the other day in, in the book of, and, and name that person's name, in 1 verse 1, you know, if Ethan says something to me, did you read the other day in Ethan 1 1, you know? We, we would never do that because we're not saying it's Scripture. He's not saying it's Scripture. He's saying that sometimes in the context of the faith family, when you're talking with someone about something going on in your life, they can give you advice that is from Him. It's a divine gift from Him. It is a grace gift. It is charismata from Him for the moment. But He says here, look, this prophecy, it's in part. This knowledge, it's in part. We know in part, we prophesy in part. Um, the point is that, that what we know about God and what we say about God, we can know it to be true. Here's, I, I want you to get this. We can know Scripture to be true. All that we have here in this book, we can know it to be true. We should, we should believe it. We should speak it. We should obey it, knowing that this is truth. And what we can know, we can know confidently, right? But what he says here is there's more that we will also know. Now, that doesn't mean that we should cast doubt on this, nor does it mean that we should cast, or let it send us off into all sorts of speculations about what God is also like. We should look to this because this is the written, revealed, inspired Word of God, right? But what he's saying is, look, here's the key. When the perfect comes, all the partial is going to pass away. I'm getting into more of this. I, I, so I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I, please know that we can trust the Word of God. But sometimes God gives a word to one of you, and this is not like word of faith where we speak it or we name it and claim it. This is, this is just the body interacting and doing life together. And sometimes God will give someone just a word of advice, and it's counsel from brothers and sisters, and it's good, and it's from God. You hear me? And there are things that we can know, but there's more that we're going to know when the perfect comes. The, the things that we often value most are not as good as we give them credit for. So many times, they're incomplete. You ever gotten a, 
a gift from, from someone and it was supposed to be the gift. Like, I've used this example before, but, you know, how many Snuggies are in your house? You know? That's cool. A blanket with sleeves. That's awesome, you know? I mean, you know, it just, but you get it and you're like, I, I can't do really what the commercial said that I could do with this. It's not quite as convenient as I thought it was. And there are so many things that we give our lives to and chase after and spend time and energy pursuing. And when we get those things, they leave us flat. Some of those are good things, but they're not, they're, they're not best things. Some of those are false gospels promising that they will finally make us fulfilled and content and full of joy. And we pursue those things and we finally get them. And then we, we're there and we say, this really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I still have this emptiness, like on Christmas morning when you wait for it as a child, but then you open all the gifts and it's over and you sort of have this letdown. You enjoy the gifts, but there's this letdown. We oftentimes give too much value to those things that are not quite as much or quite as good as we thought they were. The gifts are good. Knowledge, prophecy, all those things are good. But right now, they're only part Verse 10 says, but when the perfect comes. Now, what is that? What's, what's he talking about? There's different theories here. When a, when a, is, is he talking about when a person or a church finally reaches that full stage of maturity? Well, I don't think so. I, I don't think that we're going to ever reach that in this life. That's what the rest of Scripture teaches. Is he talking here? Was, was he writing to them and saying, hey, when the New Testament is finally finished and the canon of Scripture becomes closed, is that when perfection comes for that early church? Or could the language here be talking about the second coming of Christ? In other words, could it be talking about heaven? When, when the perfect comes, is he talking about Christ coming back and us being ushered into heaven finally? I think the language of verse 12 sounds like that. It, it, the language of verse 12 sounds uh, not like individual maturity or the completion of the New Testament, but instead, look at verse 12, we see in a mirror dimly now, but then face to face. Look, that takes it beyond where we can say, look, if, if it's just the completion of the Bible, the Bible's good and it's, it's what we need for life, but we don't yet see Jesus face to face. We should still hope for that and long for that. We can't, we, we can't do life without this. But there's coming a day where the perfect will come. And he's talking about the second coming of Christ. And what will happen in that moment when, when the perfect comes, when heaven comes? Well, three things. The partial will pass away. Verse 10. When Christ returns, prophecy, tongues, and partial knowledge will cease. Why? Is there something wrong with those in and of themselves? No. It's just that there won't be a need for them anymore. When, when Christ comes and we're with Him face to face, what need will there be for prophecy? What need will there be for speaking in tongues? What need will there be for someone to teach us about Him? I mean, if He's there, 
Look, if, if we're in heaven and you've got the choice of listening to me teach you about Jesus or listening to Jesus, who are you going to choose? I mean, I'm not offended by that. Some of you are real quiet. Yeah, but I like you. You know, I mean, it's not, a, it's not about, it's, it's not, I'm not needed. One day I'm going to get to heaven. And let's just say, I heard one, one pastor say this. I get to heaven and there's an angel there to receive me. And I say to him, hey, I was a pastor on, on earth. I'm here because I trusted Christ as my Savior. And while I was on earth, I was a pastor. I preached the gospel. The angel would look at me and say, that's great. The only way you're getting in is through Christ. And I'm glad you were a pastor on earth, but you won't be doing any preaching here. And I'm not offended by that at all. I look forward to that. Look, anybody ever like planned a big vacation? And to do so, you either had a website you went to or you sent off and you got a brochure, this big catalog, and you looked through this. I know Ethan and Emily are planning honeymoon and all that and looking through all this stuff. Uh, the brochure, how ludicrous would it be if you took the brochure with you and you finally get to your destination and you're sitting on the balcony overlooking whatever resort you've booked and instead of looking out and enjoying the resort, you're sitting on your balcony thumbing through the brochure still. See, that's the picture here. Another way to look at it is, look, streetlights are good. Aren't you glad for streetlights? But when the sun comes up in the morning, we don't need streetlights anymore. We're glad they're there in this time, in the darkness of night, but there's coming a day when the sun will rise. And we will not need these things anymore. The partial will pass away. The gifts are good and we should desire them because we need them here. But let them be a reminder to us that there is coming a day when we won't need them anymore. Today is the day to employ and use your gifts for the glory of God. And one day those gifts will be laid down in His presence. Secondly, when the perfect comes, we will discover what is really valuable. He says in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Some have tried to say wrongly that Paul here is calling speaking in tongues childish behavior. And that's not what's going on at all because Paul later says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues as I do. He's not saying this is childish behavior. What he's pointing to is the fact that there are things that we're going to do here and now that one day we're going to not do anymore, similar to what we just said. He's simply pointing to the stage of redemption that we are in and the dramatic changes that will take place when the perfection comes. Uh, I I can still remember, I don't know how old I was, but I, I still remember that transition between being a child and being expected to become a teenager. I still remember a day where I was in the dirt in our front yard. We were building a house at the time my parents were, and the, the, the yard, there was no grass yet. It was all graded. And I remember distinctly sitting in the dirt, playing with, with toy cars, with matchbox and hot wheel cars in the dirt, and having a thought, one of these days, I'm going to have to put these cars down. And thinking to myself, but I don't want to put these cars down. I don't want to have to give this up. But I knew there was coming a day when these cars would have to be left behind and I would have to begin to really grow up. That's the 
That's the drastic picture of the change that will take place. There are some things that we value way too much here and now. There are things that we get uptight over. Things that we spend way too much time chasing. Things that are going to be gone in a second when Jesus comes. Matthew 6, 19-21 says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question today, church. In the here and now, knowing what's coming, or partially what's coming, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? What is it that you really value. And some of those things will not be revealed and won't be fully realized until perfection comes. This is there's going to be a great day of reckoning, a great day of judgment described earlier in the same book in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul says, each one's work will become manifest for the day, capital D, the day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." Church, I would tell you today that it is entirely possible for you as a Christian to pursue wrong things here only to see those things be burned up. You will still enter into heaven by the grace of God in Christ, but all of your life's work will be wasted. Don't waste your life chasing after foolish things that aren't worth it. When the perfect comes, we're going to learn what's really valuable. Third thing that happens is this. When the perfect comes, when Christ comes again, we will finally see things as they really are. Verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Mirrors in that day were not like mirrors today. Today we can look in a mirror and it's, I mean, it's, it's a good image. It's, it's picture-perfect image. What you see is... Sadly, sometimes what you get, right? But in their day, it was nothing more than than hammered and polished metal. Maybe bronze or maybe some other metal. And it was was okay. You could look in it and you you could make out a reflection. Maybe you could tell that it was you in the reflection. But there were going to be some minor details that would be missed. And that's the picture here. Paul says, look, now we see in a mirror dimly. We're, we're, we're kind of looking, and we, we know what we're sort of looking at, and it's, it's pretty good, but there's going to come a day when we're going to see face to face. Jesus isn't going to be Skyped in. Face to face. The one that we have sung to, the one that we have read about, the one that we have prayed to so many times, we're going to see him face to face. You ever seen one of those reunions where a military dad has been gone and deployed overseas and when he comes home and they surprise the the wife and the kids and all of a sudden he's there in the room and they, 
realize who it is, and they go running with this huge embrace. And some of you watch that on TV, and you get teary-eyed watching that on TV. Can you imagine the reunion and the embrace when we finally see him face to face? 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7 says, We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Church, there's coming a day when we will not walk by faith, but we will walk by sight. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. There's a sense in which, in this verse, in verse 12 of this passage, there's a sense in which our knowledge in heaven can be compared to the way God presently knows us. Look, you say, what's the the takeaway? What's the big deal from this? Well, look, the takeaway is this. Don't get so caught up in the things here and now, but look for the day when the perfect will come. Live with that in your vision. And here's how you do it. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, or remain, these three. In this life, until that day comes, until he returns, trust God in this life. Meaning, not just trust him for that one day to be able to say, I'm here because I trusted Christ. But in the everyday outworking of your life, in dealing with your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, your friend at school, the person that sits at the table alone at school, all those people. Trust God. The Great Commission has been given to us. Go and make disciples. Trust God to do what He's told us to do until that day comes. Don't just sit back and wait for that day. Trust God. That's what He means there when He says, now faith remains. Faith is active. Secondly, he says, hope remains. So hope for the next life. Live this day trusting him, living out what he calls you to do, but also live it in such a way that you're hoping for his return. Strive to get up every morning and say, God, please come back. God, I I want you to usher in your kingdom. It's not up to me. I know you're being patient with those who have yet to believe, but God, please come back. Now, maybe there's things that you'd still like to do in this life, and that's okay, and that's natural. Some of you still want to get married. You still want to maybe have kids. You still want to do this or that or this other thing. I get that. I understand. But look, we should be a people that hopes for this day. And then third, this is what I told the students this morning as we closed out Sunday school. Let love be your guide. That sounds cliche and all, but he says in verse 13, at the end of it, he says, the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love remain or abide, but the greatest of these is love. What this means is that when you are dealing with someone in your life, and maybe they're they're just hard to love, they're just hard to get along with, love them. Let love be your God. Maybe you've got to make a difficult decision. Ask the question, what would be the most loving thing in this situation to do? Maybe you're dealing with an enemy. Jesus said, love your enemies. Let love be your guide. 
I want to close by just saying this. For something to remain, as it says here in verse 13, for something to abide or remain, it has to already be present. Don't miss that. I heard Colin Smith preaching about this. That when he says, faith, hope, and love remain, he's speaking to Christians and he's saying, look, you already have these things. These things have been granted you in Christ. We have everything we need for life and godliness. These things remain. This love that displayed itself in a very pragmatic and practical way in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This love that will finish what it started in you and me. This love that will last forever was not given to us because we were pretty or because we were handsome or smart or funny or witty or talented or rich or had a lot in common with him or even that we were caring In fact, when God first laid eyes on us, we were ugly and dumb and foolish and depraved. We had nothing to offer but our baggage. We were bankrupt. In fact, we had committed horrible crimes against him. And to top it off, we couldn't care less about him. Our lives should have been disgusting and repulsive to someone like him. But let me read to you a a passage of Scripture that we read here often, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This love of God that has been given to us originated with God. Started with Him When we were unlovable and unlovely, He loved us. He's given us this great love that will last forever. It's not just ours to to, to get us in. It's ours to get us in and move us all the way to the day when perfection comes. Now, faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. Church, if you have God's love, I heard a pastor say this, if you have God's love, then you can give it. If you're here today and you don't have God's love, you've never received that kind of love that I just read about, you can receive it. When you read in 
Chapter 13, verse 8, love never ends and you have pursued love in so many different areas, hoping that someone would love you and not give up on you when you have pursued trying to love someone else in your own strength, the way that, that, that never ends and you've been let down so many times, you can receive the love that never ends, that it comes from God and changes you from the inside out to reflect his glory. You can receive that by turning from your sins and trusting Christ today. Love never ends. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for your love. I so often squander that love. I'm so often the prodigal that takes advantage of your love and runs away with it to spend it on my own selfish living. But God, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for a father who is waiting and watching and eager to run to meet me, even pursue me and chase me to show me my need to be back home. God, I pray that you would take the word today that's been preached and God, that you would Penetrate ears and hearts, and God, today that you might call people to yourself. That today you might shower your love in this place. That you might pour your love in the gospel on people in this room that are not yet saved, that have never received this love. God, I pray that you might call the church in love today to give up the things that won't last, the things that are not going to satisfy and fulfill, and God, that we would have as preeminent you and you alone, that we would look for that day, that we would trust you in the middle of this day, and God, that love would guide us as we deal with people in the world. God, use this text, God, to bring people to you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.